today, we're going to be talking about debt. So um, particularly when there may or may not be a, a economic downturn and things are getting weird out there early, um, this is a great time to talk about how to best manage your debt, um, what the difference is between good debt and bad debt is. It's going to give me a great chance to go on a Dave Ramsey rant, which I have not done in a long time. One of the happiest days of my life was getting blocked by um, Dave Ramsey on Twitter. Anyway, man, what's going on? Are you still at the W down in uh, South Beach? I am. It's uh, quite beautiful, uh, to be honest. So uh, it's uh, it's nice. I can't I can't complain. I'm not going to lie. If any of you guys have never stayed at a W, that is hands down my favorite hotel chain. I mean, I um, we have a conference over here at the Ritz down in Orlando, and we get it for like stupid cheap, like a couple hundred dollars a night. And one of my greatest joys when that happens is looking up to see what the going rate is for the hotel that night if I just checked in. And I'm like, eh, it's up to 900 <laughs> But But as great as the Ritz-Carlton is, I love the W. It's just a great hotel. Yeah, so, they, uh, uh, they upgraded, upgraded me to some like ridiculous suite. So I've got this whole thing. And then I've got, um, I'll just show you real quick, because the view's the view's not bad. I mean, you know, got a little ocean view out there. So nope, not bad. But at it's all. Man, too I'm dang hot. A long time. It's too dang hot and too dang windy to sit out there, but so I'm I'm just inside here. But yeah, no, it's a, it's actually a fun hotel. Yeah, I agree with you. Like I mean, the Ritz Carlton's really nice, but it's really quiet, you know. Right. And, and the W is going to be banging the whole time. Like, I mean, there's always music going on. There's every yeah. bar, just you know, ten bars here, and they're all like on point, and you know, a lot of fun stuff. Pool's great, so it's right on the beach. So we'll get to business in a moment. But the one here, or what used to be the W in San Diego, um, my buddy actually built upstairs i don't know what it is now it's on b street but my buddy they actually had a sand bar like you actually there's fire pits and you take your shoes off and have your feet in the sand even though you're like eight blocks from the water so anyway we're talking about debt today yep the good the bad and the ugly so um we're in an interesting time right now because interest rates are starting to rise for the first time in basically a decade um, in fact, I'll tell you guys an interesting story because my son is in the middle of um, possibly buying a place in Austin before he starts law school. And um, he's really getting an education on how mortgages work and things like that. I'll tell you some of the details about what we're chatting, you know, without telling you guys where he's going to live and stuff. Um, although if you're walking around Austin, Austin, he is six foot seven and he's in East Austin. He's kind of hard to miss. Um, but anyway. So we're just going to talk about some things to think about, particularly as we go into recession, potentially. I mean, some are saying we're already there. But um, Dom, where did you want to get started today? Was there anything in particular on your mind that you felt the need to discuss and share yeah, with everybody? So, so I think some of this uh, was um, kind of the genesis of this is I so, I so often hear business owners uh, just so anti-debt. And I think we're raised in that perspective that concept of like debt being a, a tough one you know like i'll pay for things in cash i i could hear when i was waiting for you to to let me in i could hear you say like you're gonna go on a dave ramsey rant but i think we hear a lot of that I am. It is, we, we, yeah we hear a lot about you know pay everything in cash don't put anything on credit cards and there's a certain amount of like 
positives to that type of stuff. But, but as we get as, and I know a lot of our, our audience is entrepreneurs, you know, I have people that I knew who were hesitant to get an EIDL loan or to, to ever get any kind of lending uh, and get stuck because then when they need it, they can't get it, right? So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. But I think it's just interesting to talk about debt and to, to understand how the really wealthy people use debt to their advantage. And some of those people become wealthy because of using debt to their advantage. So I think it's just an opportunity to explain that and, and go through some of those scenarios. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on all that and and just kind of talk through it because I know my mindset's changed a lot about it over the years. And, and it's just, I think it's a helpful topic for people. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing because first of all, you really have to stop and look at where do we get ideas from? Like where did the idea that debt was bad come from in the first place? And it can actually tell you in this country where it came from. But before we get to that, I will tell you, there's an old story about a mom who was with her daughter and they were getting ready to make a Christmas ham and they cut the ends off. And the daughter asked the mom, you guys may have heard this, but the daughter asked the mom, like, where, why do we cut the ends off? She goes, well, honey, that's the way your grandma did it. And so she's like, well, why did grandma do it that way? And she's like, I don't know. Let's call her up and ask her. So they call grandma up and ask her. She goes, oh, honey, I don't know. That's the way my mom did it. You know, years ago, we always cut the ends of the ham off before we put it in the oven. And she's like, well, why did great grandma do it? I don't know. Let's call her and find out. So they get great grandma on the phone and great grandma goes, oh, haha, the oven was too small to hold the whole ham. So we had to cut the ends off to get it to fit in. Now, you laugh, which thank you, even if that was a token laugh. <laughs> was, but, uh, I haven't heard that story. It's funny though. Um, that is where so many of our opinions came from regarding debt. So let's go back to, and really so many of our ideas about retirement in this country and money in general have been formed over the years in things that have no basis in reality anymore because times have changed and rules have changed. Let me give you a perfect example. When you go back to the Great Depression of 1929, so first of all, they outlawed alcohol. Everything went great for a while because everybody drank it anyways. And then, you know, in 1929, the market crashed. Another day, we will completely go into reasons for that, that market meltdown. But what happened at the time was when you borrowed on a mortgage, you the mortgage at the time was a callable instrument. And here's what that means. You would go to the bank and let's say your house was $5,000 and you'd put $1,000 down and they'd give you a mortgage for $4,000. In that mortgage was a notice that if the bank needed your money, they could call the mortgage due on 30 days. And so when the Great Depression happened, and if you were, we're in the second half of the year, that blows my mind. The whole first half of this year is going to blur. But- um, we're only a few months away from Christmas. And if you guys watch Christmas movies at all, which I don't, with the exception of Bad Santa. And Bad Santa is the greatest Christmas movie ever. Die Hard is a very close second. And yes, it is a Christmas movie. I don't care what anybody says. But there, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life comes on. And it's a classic. And if you guys haven't seen it, it's Jimmy Stewart. 
he's a bank manager, I think, and he's going to kill himself. And then an angel comes along and shows him what life would be like without him. But it's all centered around him trying to manage the bank runs that happened after the 1929 stock market crash. So even though it was a family movie, it was almost like the big short in that it really talked about economic events of that time. So here was the, the feedback of doom. Number one, mortgages could get called on a moment's notice. Number two, banks back then and today still operated on the principle that nobody's ever going to want their money at the same time. Number three, you could buy stuff in the market. You could buy stocks on 5 to 10% down, meaning you could borrow 90% of it. And so what happened is, is all during the roaring 20s when the market kept going up, people were just taking any profit, buying more stock, kind of like they did in the housing meltdown of the, you know, uh, well, before the meltdown of 03, 04, 05, 06, 07, you know, 15, 18, 20, almost 20 years ago. So if you guys weren't around, that's what everybody would do. Houses were going up so fast, just like they were now. People were pulling their equity out, buying another house, pulling the equity out of the two now when it went up again, buying more houses. And that whole thing led to the crash that you saw in the big short. I'm almost done here. So anyway, so here's what happened. As people went to the banks to try and pull money out to make the margin call when their stocks started to decline, which they had to do to keep their stocks from getting sold, Everybody did now want their money out of the banks at once. So now banks ran out of cash because they're only required to keep a minimal amount on hand right now, just like they were back then. And then they begin to go, what do we do? We've got these mortgages. We need to go to those guys and tell them, you got to pay us. You got 30 days. You got to pay up. Now, here was the problem with that. Even if you had the money, it was at the bank and the bank didn't freaking have any more money. So people began to get massively foreclosed on, on their homes. And that led to legislation, number one, that people, you're not, as long as you're in good standing, the bank cannot call your mortgage to. And even if you get several months behind, right up until the moment of foreclosure, you can still bring that mortgage current, cure the foreclosure. And they can't take your house. And secondly, it led to a lot of our grandparents not trusting, or great-grandparents, depending on your age, not trusting banks. And they began to keep their money in the mattress because the bank screwed them. And so, and bankers still suck. Sorry, Dominic, you were one. Um, my cousin goes by the handle Bankster Slayer, but she's definitely one of the end the Fed people. <laughs> but so when we look at debt, you have to realize so many people's visceral gut reactions to not going to have a mortgage, get that thing paid off as quickly as possible. Dave Ramsey goes off with his, the debtor is slave to the lender, which is in it, which is in there. It's in the Bible, but um, they, they really are not looking at the bigger picture and um, all those sorts of things. So anyway, that's my little rant. And so really you have to understand that now there are types of debt like the idle loans, the economic injury disaster loans that are on 30-year notes, they were at stupid low interest rates. You can get a home mortgage, very inexpensive right now, still all things considered, even though it's not as cheap as it was. 
and no one can come take your house as long as you um as long as you turn around and make the payments and stuff like right. that so anyway i'll give you a chance to get a word in edgewise while i drink some water and um by the way good morning to my daughter and son-in-law who are on this morning <laughs> sorry i oh. have the airpods and they're like you need a mic yeah well the best you know, we can yeah we <laughs> do what we can on a computer no anyway, you can't and uh if you want to spend a thousand dollars worth of tech you can you can like i have at home you can run it into your phone but that's i don't know so yeah i mean it, i think the uh uh the, the piece that you brought up i mean it's so good to hear the history behind it because i think that's where a lot of us i mean i did laugh at the ham story because it it's just funny it's just so true of how many things um you know if you, that you get in life and and business ownership and anything that are from our parents and their parents before, and nobody actually knows any of the reasoning behind it. So I think that that's always fascinating to just think through that a little bit. Of where does your mindset around this stuff come from? I mean, heck, our parents probably freaked out when we left our jobs because they spent and, and started a company because they spent 30 years working at the same company, right? You would start there, get a gold watch and retire, right? Like that was- Yeah, the we're, in the, we're in the freelance economy where nobody really stays, you know, for 40 years at a place anymore. Um, yeah. we got a couple interesting questions, by the way, while we're yep. on this subject, one was, I think what happens if you don't make the payments, they start calling you a lot. Uh, they start sending you hate mail a lot. Um, but here's the thing, like my son was looking at, you know, buying a place in Austin. And again, I think he's a little bit on the fence, even though he's got a place. Um, here's what I was telling him. Number one. They can evict you in Texas. You can get evicted faster than you can get foreclosed on because of the federal protections. Now, again, I am, we are not, well, I can't speak for Dominic because Dominic spends a thousand dollars on tax. So his voice sounds a little bit better on his computer stuff. Um, so I, I would not encourage spending frivolously, meaning hey, don't buy a place that you really don't think you can afford. I mean, live within your means. You guys know the story. I live in a much smaller house than I could reasonably afford, number one. So nobody moves back in with me. Sorry, Justin Teo, if you're listening to this. Uh, but secondly, I don't need all the space. And I live in a good neighborhood, you know, where I like my neighborhood. And when I lived in a couple million dollar house, yeah, my neighbors were okay. Um, there's some good ones there, but there was also some really snobby ones and I just kind of like living with normal people. But so while we don't encourage you to spend recklessly on this, if you fall behind, you've got several months and there is a complete legal process that you can go through to get yourself out of foreclosure up until the moment that the house is claimed by the court. So they've got to send you notices and court hearings and all kinds of stuff. And in some states like Michigan, <coughs> I think it's Michigan. I mean, you've got a year for, um, you've got a year to get your house back out of foreclosure. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me on it. And then someone else, there's another question in there, D. I don't know that I can get back to if you want to yeah, scroll down. And how do you build equity if you, if you have so many loans and can't make the payments. So 
let's talk about building equity. Dominic, do you have anything you wanted to chat about for a moment? No, that's good. Keep, keep going. I mean, as Dominic pointed out, he's in kind of hog last week, so we'll make me do a little more of the work this week. But anyway, I mean, you hog season one, so you know. But I mean, that's okay. <laughs> you, I intend to hog season two. I know. You know what? I when I was getting my private pilot's license, um, one of the things that they said, and by the way, I actually found out they are so desperate for pilots that I would actually probably be, I, if I wanted to be, I could be an air transport pilot in about 18 months. And they work you, well, they work you enough. Anyway, I'll bore you guys with that the, another time. But if anybody's thinking about being a pilot, they are hella desperate for pilots right now. And it's really, it probably takes a couple of years before you'd be flying, maybe up to three before you're flying for an, a, a major, you know, regional airline. Back to this. One of the things that they asked me was, what, as a private pilot, what maintenance can you perform on an aircraft? And my answer when I'm, it's like a six hour examination. Um, I mean, they work you through two hours in the air, four hours on the ground. They grill you on everything from weather to charts. So my answer was nothing. And the guy's like, well, that's not the right answer. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm like, there's nothing. There's literally nothing that I would do on that airplane and then get in that airplane and go fly on. And I'm the pilot in command. There ain't no way I'm, I'm flying in an airplane that I worked on. And the guy starts laughing. He goes, all right, that's the right answer. My point in all that is this stuff I can explain, I think, fairly well. There's a lot of stuff I can't do. Okay, back to building equity. So... um. My son is looking at a place right now and has the bank willing to give him an interest-only loan for 30 years at a fixed rate that is seven-tenths of a percent lower than what he would um, have if he took a regular 30-year with, you know, amortized loan where you're paying not not just the interest, but the principal as well. And his comment was, what do you think? It sounds too good to be true. Now, we read over the rules of the of why they were giving him this loan. He needed a co-signer for it. And there were some other restrictions. So they're not offering this to everybody. But my point, what I told him was, I would take that loan so fast. And I would do it if it was seven-tenths of a percent higher. I'd still take that loan. Why? Because now... The houses to answer whoever asked that question about building equity over the short term, who knows what's going to happen to the housing market, right? Are we at the top? I don't know. We'll know. We'll know after the fact. But over time, that house is going to appreciate in 10, 15, 20 years. It's going to be worth more. So it's going to build equity regardless of having a mortgage, not having a mortgage. The house doesn't know if you have a mortgage on it or not. Number one. Number two, he's like, well, I'm going to send those extra payments to the, the bank just so I, as if it was a 30-year loan. I'm like, I wouldn't do that. He's like, well, why? And I'm like, if you ever need the money, bank's not going to give it back to you. So instead, if you're disciplined enough, turn around and put that money in a side account, let it grow. And by the way, even if you amortize that payment over 15 years, meaning if you took the difference between the interest only and what the 15-year amortized loan would be and put it into a side account, 
which likely will earn more than the interest rate on the mortgage over time, then you will have enough. I've run this math hundreds of times. You'll have enough money to pay off the house in 13 and a half years anyways. So you're still saving a year and a half on the 15-year payments. But the point in all that is, is there is more than one way to skin a cat. So on the home mortgage, which we'll move off of and we'll start talking about leveraging assets and buying and things like that, on the home mortgage front, my recommendation is always put the least amount down that they'll let you. Um, turn around and um, finance it for the longest period possible at the lowest interest rate they'll give you. And then be disciplined with the payment and put that money somewhere else because that is how you grow long-term equity that you control. The minute you give that money to the bank, above and beyond the minimal, minimum amount, they now have control of it. And the only way you, my son, or anybody else is going to get that money back is by um, having to ask the bank for the privilege of using your own money. So yeah. and I'm going to let you talk for a second while I move inside because somebody, of course, has to mow their lawn this morning. So hold yeah, on. Yeah, I was wondering. It sounded like you had a gigantic beetle uh, flying by your ear there or something. <laughs> no, man, I got the landscaping guys right over there. Hey, it's got to be done. But normally they're not there on Fridays. They're normally there on Saturdays. All right, D, say something smart. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah, smart. Yeah, so, uh, so Lindsay, I saw your question. Hey, Lindsay, good to see you. Um, we'll get to your question here because I am curious what Ron's opinion is on that around parking EIDL money. There may be some limitations on that one specifically, but we'll we'll chat about that when we come back. But I think the point that we've talked about on this show a few times, we've had, if you guys missed it, uh, we had season one, uh, we actually had a, a really top-notch mortgage lender or, or lender on on the show. Um, I can't remember what episode, I want to say it was like episode 10-ish around, around that area of uh, season one, which by the way, just to do a quick ID while, while Ron is out, this is the Make More, Keep More show uh, where we talk about all things money. So Ron is typically... The uh, expert on the keeping more uh, through taxes, tax savings, you know, tax strategies, all that kind of stuff. I typically focus more on the make more side of it. But quite frankly, we've run businesses for a long time and we know all the aspects of making and keeping money. So it's really about just chatting with you guys and helping you out and with that. So if you have questions, by the way, drop them in the chat. I know we've had a couple so far. Uh, we try to get to all of them. If they're a little off topic, we may move it to another episode. Um, if you want to catch all the back episodes... They're on, you know, everywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can go to makemorekeepmoreshow.com and it'll take you there too. So, but yeah, I think mortgages, that's an interesting topic all the time is like, I think my mom, you know, was always like, well, how fast can I pay off the mortgage? And if I were to ask her, she'd be like, well, so I wouldn't be in debt. Right. But it's interesting because then she's got tax problems every year and she doesn't have the mortgage write-off, which is one of those nice, pretty nice mortgage write-offs, right? So it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can use it to your, to your advantage. So, you know, I think I love the idea of just parking that money because the cool thing is even if you were to invest it and let's say we go for the next couple of years with kind of a down market, your dollar costs averaging over the next couple of years too, by throwing money in every single month and you're going to see, and I mean, we haven't had, Correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, but I don't think we've ever had it like a 10-year down period on the market, right? So it's usually come back. Was it five, three years is the longest? Okay, three so, years is the if three years is the longest the market has ever declined historically ever. 1929, 30, and 31, 
again, that Great Depression and the Dow Jones, which was the leading indicator of that time, fell off 80 percent, 80 percent. But it came back. It took a few years to get back. And then it turned around and went up from there, obviously. And then in 2000, 2001 and 2002, the market dropped again for three years. But there were pretty valid reasons because we were in a huge bubble back then. And um, because of all the tech stuff that people were dumping money in just foolishly. And well, nine eleven, and I mean, we had a few, you know, the, the initial, you know, fights in in Afghanistan and stuff. I mean, we had a lot of. There was a lot of outside factors in two thousand. Yeah. So what's crazy is um, that we did have nine eleven in the middle of that. We had, but but really, what you also had was people dumping money into companies that had no viable economic yeah. capital. You know, uh, again, I I tell the joke. It's hilarious. And, and as long as it wasn't your grandma that this happened to, but e-funeral was the thing where you would drag the body down to the UPS store, <laughs> ship it, and then they would take care of the burial. Like, you know, the pitch I'm sure sounded great, but no one with common sense prevailed. It was like, uh, do people really want to haul their body, you know, the bodies of their loved ones to the UPS store? <laughs> I don't think so. So, um, Back to one of the points that you made real quick. Oh, let's just go back to the markets. So they dropped 2001, two, and then by about 2006, seven, the markets were back to break even, positive territory. And then, of course, we had the markets drop again. But, um, and we're in, you know, this is whether you guys know this or not, this is the worst first half of a year for the stock market since 1970. So, fifth. 52 years. This is the worst start. And again, there's some pretty valid reasons, and I'm not going to lay them all at Putin's doorstep. Um, you've got some some decisions being made that really, you know, don't seem to be helping the economy. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Sure. Um, where places to put your idle money? You do have some restrictions there. Um, let me save that if you don't mind for another show, because what I really wanted to stay on topic on this one was, and we can even chat about it. I think next week we've got Ed um, coming in to talk about college and getting money for college. And actually, I'll have a lot to say on that because Ed and I run a business together and have run businesses together for 15 plus years. Um, and anyway, but we'll we'll work in some of the where you put your money. But. Um, in the interest of time, just for today, I want to talk about, again, the managing of debt on the business side. And Dominic, I think you probably got some stuff, some thoughts on that and some things yeah, to well, say there. So it's interesting because even in my mastermind group, when we were talking about EIDL loans and stuff, when they were first coming out and I was trying to help the group with like, I had some SBA guys come on and talk through how, uh, you know, how to get them and all that stuff. I had people like, oh, well, I don't really need it. So I'm not going to get a loan. And I was like, yeah, that's the exact reason why you get the loan is because you don't need it right now, right? So it's the thing. The other part of it was EIDL. I know. Calm yourself. The other part of it is EI. So EIDL. It's burn. Hold on. Burn this into your brain. Every one of you on this call. A banker. Mark Twain said this. A banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining and want it back the second it begins to rain. 
truer words were never spoken and he said them 130 150 years ago so like dominic said you borrow and you set up your credit lines and your financing when you don't need the money because the minute you need the money you are well and truly screwed because no one's going to want to lend it to you and it's the same thing with your home equity in your house you put all those extra payments into it and now you need it you call the bank like hey man you know i wanted to send this you know like i was just sending it i didn't have to send it to you and the bank's answer is going to be like sorry here's this form fill it out and prove to us that you don't need this money and we'll be happy to give it to you all right right go back dig the well before you thirst that was socrates famous quote i think it was socrates but dig the well before you thirst. Okay, back to you. Sorry about that. Well, and and I think again for for business owners, it's often that that thought process of like, well, I pay for cash. I don't do anything. I put stuff on credit cards, you know, so I get my American, you know, my my uh my airline points and my hotel points. But other than that, you know, I pay off my Amex every single month, and I just collect the points. And there is an there's there's obviously some ad, advantageous sides to that. But I think. You're absolutely right. It's like making sure you have cash on hand, making sure that the cash, and if that means you use some debt to get to make sure that you keep cash on hand, at some point you have to get, to, you're going to get to a point where you're going to need it, whether, you know, just because of market conditions, your health, heaven stakes. I mean, I've told this story before. You, some of you guys know this. I mean, like I literally started having headaches and thought I had pink eye because I had a kid, like a baby. And I was like, oh, something must have happened. I got pink eye go in and they found a mask behind my eye like in the months that it took to figure all that stuff out like my business almost went to zero like you know and it was doing really well before my health was was obviously not good turned out fine wasn't cancer wasn't all that i'll short shorten the story but but the 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 thing is is like you just don't know and and the idea of like getting lending getting your loans in place getting you know uh lines of credit in place when you don't need it is so critical and the other part of it and and we and ron's talked about this and when we had matt um how do you say his last name shanley shanley big matt shanley so matt shanley he was on our um show i mentioned it before he was on our show season one i think maybe episode nine ten something like that i have to look it up but if you guys go you know check it out you'll, you'll find him I mean, one of the things that Matt talked about is for entrepreneurs, especially, this is a real, I would think this is a really good time. I'm curious what your thoughts are, but this could be a really good time before things get too crazy. If your business is still doing pretty well, you've got those things, work with your lender and work with your tax advisor, whether that's Ron or somebody else, work with your tax advisor, because chances are some of you filed extensions on your tax returns, you've got to get all those done by October, all that good stuff. If you're trying to get some lending, you may not want to take some of those deductions. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, but you may want to see some more income and prove to the IR, you know, prove to the lender that you're in good shape. Rather, because you know most of us who own businesses, we love the tax advantages and we try to show zero profit or as little as possible most years. But if you're going to go do some planning on some some lending, you may want to you may want to talk to your tax advisor. I mean, is that is that track with what you usually do? Is yeah, one of the questions we got in the actual question was, how do we use the market being down um, to advantage for taxes? And one of the things that you can do, I'll come back to your question in a moment, is you can sell stuff. And what you have to do is you cannot invest in the same thing for 30 days. It's called the wash sale rule. 
this applies to stocks and mutual funds. It does not apply to crypto. No, crypto so you can yeah. sell crypto and immediately buy it right back because it's considered real property. I think whatever the IRS regs are on it, you can do it that way. So you may want to do some what we call tax loss harvesting, which is where you go in, sell off a handful of things. Those losses can offset other gain, capital gains and up to 3000 a year can go against your current income. So some of my clients have, you know, income that goes, um, you know, they have, they might be taking that 3000 for years, but Hey, it's still something and it goes off your top rate. So it helps. Now, as far as if you're trying to do financing, one of the things that we do, and um, the banks do not like this, but we do it. And if you notice, we talked about this on our podcast with Matt Shanland, and he got very uncomfortable very fast. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, moving right along. But hey, if you can file one return, and then you can turn around and after the bank has seen it, and pull the transcripts, we can go back in for up to three years and amend it. And we're actually doing that today for a, a new client because um, she's a real estate investor, pulled some money out of her IRA, put it back in, but when she filed her taxes, reported the income. And so, and then kind of forgot about it. And now, first of all, we have to go in and, and amend that. Otherwise, she's going to pay double tax on that money. But the reason that she wanted to show it was she needed that extra, I think it was like 22000 of income. She needed that extra 22000 to get the deal closed and then just forgot to go back and amend the returns. So she's going to get $4,970, so almost 5000 from the federal government. And I think she'll get another 1000 from the state of California. So again, if you're in that investment window, you can turn around and um, file one return, hold back on some of the deductions, and then turn around and after the loans are secured, go ahead and, and claim those deductions. And look, your bank's not going to like it. Um, and I don't know that it rises to the level of um, you know anything considered that. Uh, anything untoward, but I do know it is fairly common. By the way, we just saw a bunch of you jump on. This is the Make More Keep More podcast. I'm Ron Carruthers of Ron O'Carruthers. He's Dominic of Real Biz Advisors, both on Instagram. And um, we chat about all things money, money, debt, taxes, all of it. Um, so anyway, that's kind of that. As far as it goes to business, um, let me tell you why I think Dave Ramsey sucks. Um, there's a lot of reasons, and I'll only give you the top three or four. But, and by the way, Dave Ramsey is a, has some good advice if you are currently in credit card debt and you are trying to get out of current car, credit card debt. The debt snowball, the debt avalanche methods that he advocates is are, are, are solid, time-tested principles. He didn't really invent them. They've been around. The debt snowball is where you basically lay out all your debt and take the smallest one, I think with the highest interest rate, and you work that one down first and then take that payment, roll it over into the, by the way, thank you, Marcus. Um, take that payment, roll it over into the next smallest debt with the next highest interest rate. I think that's the snowball one. Maybe the avalanche, you just based it on interest rates. Man, I can't keep it straight. But basically, 
the idea is, is right now you have a thousand dollars in payments. You're going to pick one credit card to focus on and you're going to pay 1100. The extra hundred is going to go towards that one. And then let's say you get it paid off and it's base payment was a hundred and you're doing the extra hundred. Now you're going to take that extra 200, move it to the next credit card, roll that one down. And let's say that payment was 200 plus the 200 from this one that's now gone. You're going to roll them over the next one. And pretty quickly, you can work yourself out of debt. That's great. Those are time-tested principles. Now, I would encourage my clients to also be starting an emergency fund at the same time because if, if a transmission goes out or a roof goes in or somebody needs a surgery, we're going to go immediately back to step one. It's like shoots and ladders. We're going to well, go all the way back down to the bottom. Well, and here, real quick thing on that, because the other thing that happens in that scenario that makes it you definitely want to be putting some cash to the side is often you'll see when you start to pay down a credit card, if your overall situation isn't that great, which presumably many of you won't be, they're going to lower your credit limit as soon as you pay it down. So as soon as you have $10,000, you pay it down eight, seven, six, they will track along with it and they'll keep stepping down. Right. And so yeah, your purchasing power disappears. Right. So you better have yeah, that because, cash because it'll kill yeah, you. because they're like, hey, man, you're a great customer. We made a lot of interest on you, but uh, we don't trust you because next time you might not pay us back. So that's a great principle. Now, where, where we get into beef with Dave Ramsey is, first of all, he's been on his show more than once where guys have been like, well, I think I'm going to go to medical school. Like, well, you're taking on a lot of debt. You know, oh, you don't want to do that. And the debtor is slave to the lender. And blah, blah, blah. and look, there's good debt and there's bad debt. If you're going to college and you're taking on debt for a 13th century bisexual Japanese poetry gender studies degree, I'm going to go with there's not a big market for that right now in the economic workplace. And that is completely different than going to be an engineer, an actuary, God forbid, a tax professional, a doctor, a nurse, a pilot, all careers that pay above average salaries. And um, you are now, you're investing. That's all you're doing. You're investing your time and somebody else's money that you got to pay back, but you will be paying it with substantially higher earnings than without those degrees in most cases. That's the theory behind it. And, and so, real quick, all of most of those that you just mentioned are in major hiring deficits right now. So, oh my God, the, like nurses, I said, they can't pilots, they can't find enough pilots. accountants, they can't find enough. I mean, they literally there are not enough of these people around. So, if you are spending money to get yourself getting debt you know, the bad debt from Dave Ramsey to go into a job where you are damn near guaranteed a job coming out of college or possibly and a, before this And a six-figure salary, you know, by and large. I mean, my buddy who's flying, my, my first flight instructor, he's flying for American Eagle. And dude, they're paying him. I mean, not not great, but we've got a client who's a captain. He'll be making he'll make 400000 just from the airlines this year. Because he worked his way through the system, you know, a lot of anesthesiologists don't make four hundred thousand. So again, um, there is there is really something to be said where that is bad advice from Dave Ramsey. Here's worse advice from Dave Ramsey: is 
the rush to pay off your home as quickly as possible. Again, because when you look at what is, why would I rush to pay off a three, four, 5% mortgage and tie up all that equity that is not earning me anything, that is not giving me a tax break that I can't access quickly. Even if you put a line of credit on that house, you can turn around and they can cut that line of credit just the same way they can cut down your limits on that. And it can have nothing to do with you. If housing prices drop, they can turn around and cut that. It has nothing, or you lose your job. Again, the banker will lend you your money when the sun is shining and want the umbrella back the minute it begins to rain. Then the worst advice is Dave tells everybody they're going to get a 12% rate of return. Like, oh, that's market average. Like, yeah, but you don't build your plans on that because the average includes the average is different than actual rates of return once you factor in negative returns based on the way the money works. I'll bore you guys with that another time. But the point is, Dave Ramsey has really good beginner advice. If you are in debt and you need somebody to smack you around and smack the pumpkin spice latte out of your hand if you're going to Starbucks five times a day and blow in 20 bucks a day at Starbucks, which you need to be paying to pay down your debt. Yes, great advice. Beyond that, no, it's just like once you learned how to ride a bike, you don't need the training wheels anymore, I guess. And there's a joke in there against the president. I'm not going to go there. So we're just going to move right along. But yeah, you know, when you were a little kid and you went to the pediatrician, when you grew up, you went to a real doctor. Not that pediatricians aren't, but just adult doctors have different things that they treat than pediatricians. Sorry to any pediatricians that I unintentionally offended. I really didn't mean to. You guys know what I mean. Love you guys. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the it's the difference. This is the thing is like when you do when you're brand new, you do brand new things. Like you 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 you're you know you probably start. I think about again a lot of our our audience is entrepreneurs. When they first start out, you know they they may start on this business and it turned from their side hustle to a main hustle overnight and they racked up some debt while they were there. And you might need to get a little bit of control of that, right? There might be some situations where you're going to turn into evil Dave Ramsey and, and learn out like, Oh crap, I got to get some of that, that get that debt credit uh, cleared out while I'm doing it. But I think anytime that, again, remember that, and Ron talks about this a lot, your mortgage isn't a loan on your house. It's a loan on your income that's secured by your house. And so by paying into your house, if something happens to your income, which can be any number of things, your business starts to do poorly, you get fired, laid off, your health turns around, whatever the case might be, if you, anything, a material impact to your income basically eliminates your ability to get that money out of your house. And so it's a critical thing to remember for people like you just can't, you can't be without that. Now, if you're, you know, hell bent on paying your house off, then at least make sure that you have that. Let me, let me ask you, Ron, but my thought would be then you better darn well be putting also extra money into a cash account that you're super disciplined about not touching. If you're going to do it, like we can't stop you no matter what from doing it, have a lot of cash because if anything happens, you can't count on that equity. Yeah, let me put this another way. And again, we had a period where you can't even sell your, you couldn't sell your house. Yeah. Uh, you know, 08, 09, 10, every banker ran for the hills. You couldn't get a loan. Um, so even if you tried to sell your house, it was worth, in California, houses were worth 50% less than what they were third quarter of 2006. 
So, you know, my house that's worth 900,000 now, I think was worth valued at 225 in 2010. Um, you know, the market just collapsed and you couldn't, you could only buy this house if you already had the cash to buy it because the bank wouldn't lend you money on it. Because again, all the banks headed for the hills after all the dumb crap they had done in 05, 06, and 07 leading up to all that. So, well, yeah, and there's, another, there's another the other thing. Another day, I will tell you guys the story of what led to all that because that was that crash was 100% Bill Clinton's fault. Like 100%. This isn't a D versus R thing. It was actually a well-intentioned thing that Bill Clinton put in, but it turned and bit everybody on the ass. And um, it was one of those academic things that sounded good on paper, but anybody with a third grade education would have looked at it and been like, you guys use a bunch of words. That's a really dumb idea. I'll tell you guys that another day. Um, go ahead with what you were going to say, and then we're going to well, talk about how there's more than one way to pay off your house. But go ahead. Well, and so the other, the, the other piece of it, though, is, yeah, I was talking about things that could happen to you so that you, like, your income gets hit. Because, again, it's a loan on your income right not a loan on the house and and if something happens to you, it, you you're screwed but yes also remember if something happens to the banks you're screwed right so if you guys remember back in that day i mean people were doing those revert negam loans and you know all these crazy stuff that was going on and it was all banks creating all this stuff and and your mortgage was getting sold every two days it felt like to some other lender and and who are you even going to go to apply for that equity line? And, and the banks tight, the like brick and mortar banks tightened up overnight. I know because I was doing loans at the time. And we suddenly, our rules overnight, we just got new. We were just like everything that had been approved the week before was declined that week. Like it just changed overnight. You got it. You and got it. it. There was no control. So then you had to go to like subprime lenders and then you, you're in a whole other ball game. Like, it's it, so much can happen there. So yeah, let's talk about some other ways that uh, so here's can pay off houses. So here, here's another way. And this kind of goes to lovely CJP's question, which is what is the definition of a lot of cash? Because it does mean something different to everybody. Yeah. And I'm usually lovely. I'm the one saying that. They're like, well, you know, my client will tell me this is going to happen soon. And they're like, what, what exactly is the definition of soon these days to you? You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get a big inheritance. Like, what is the definition of a big inheritance these days? So anyway, back to, to Lovely's kind of question is, everybody has to define that for themselves. As a bare minimum, you want to have several months of cash. The CFP Foundation recommends six. I think that's a good number to ultimately strive for. Six months of it living expenses on hand at all times. I keep closer to a year. Now, it's not just in cash at my bank. I use, um, as you guys know, I, I for that money, I use cash value life insurance, max funded. And the reason, by the way, is twofold. Number one, they will pay me a much higher interest rate than the bank will for the same vehicle. For cash that I can lay hands on, I can get about 20 times the return. Now, 20 times the return isn't that good when the bank's giving you, you know, uh, a quarter of a percent to half a percent, but I can get closer to seven, eight or nine with no risk in a tax-free environment. And here's the other thing that a lot of people forget. 
Life insurance companies are not allowed to do the stupid shit that banks are, can get away with. So life insurance companies always have to have more than 100% reserves, meaning they have to be able to pay out every single one of their policyholders in full and have money left over where the bank is required to keep about 10% reserves, meaning only 10 cents on the dollar. So we'll go on that another time. And one of our season one, I kind of talked about it, but I did it in Italy with the connection going in and out. So you guys can look that up on um, the Make More Keep More Show. Make More Keep More Show. Yeah, Make More Keep yeah. More Show. Com or or Spotify or Apple. Apple. Or anything. Yeah. Um, so just for the guys that are asking, there are several life insurance companies that do this. There are several that will pay in that six to nine percent and it is max funded cash value life insurance we use it as the basis for a lot of our clients financial portfolios we'll use it if they get a windfall we'll use it in lieu of a 401k and granted it's not the only thing we do and if you try to call me the life insurance guy we're going to end up fighting but uh because those are fighting words but it's a tool but anyway, let's go back for a moment to what is another way to pay off your house? Well, the one way is the, the Dave Ramsey way, right? Like to send all the money to the, the bank. But again, there's flaws in that. Here's another way. What if we got a cash account back to lovely CJP's question, which is how much is enough? Well, what if we got an account that was equal to the balance on the mortgage and then we turned around and told those guys, hey, why don't you send those guys a payment every month? My payment is $2,000. I want you to send them $2,000 on the first of every month and just set it up. Now you are no longer paying that mortgage, but you are having your cake and you are eating it too because you've got all the cash liquid over here, likely continuing to grow because it's earning more than what your payment is over here. And I could do that till the end of time and just be like, I've got my cake, I'm eating it. I don't make that mortgage anymore. And if you guys, any of you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that is literally Rich Dad, Poor Dad 101. Um, you go, number one, you get assets, that account, that pay for your liabilities. And what did he say? That's what the rich do. Whereas the middle class just try to get rid of the liabilities. and. Um, Look, we had a guy, Dominic, when you come back from your cruise, we'll let you have one of these shows where you get to talk more. But um, we had a guy, a client of mine that's worth 20 million to 20, probably 25 million now. And he owes about $6 million in debt on that. He's a real estate guy, but you know, he does okay. He's got $5 million of just personal real estate that he lives in, the two houses that he bounces back and forth between. And then, and then about 18 to 20 million of, you know, portfolio that generates income. He literally came into my office one day and he's like, well, I was listening to this Dave Ramsey guy, you know, and he says I should pay off all this debt, you know, like, what do you think? And he was serious. And I'm like, look, Dave Ramsey's worth more than you, but, but he got it by telling other people to pay off their stuff. Don't listen to him. You're doing just fine. 
He's talking about people that have credit card debt. And Dave Ramsey's audience is kind of middle America that makes, you know, $40,000 a year, which is the average income in the United States of America. So anyway, just know that there's more than one way to pay off a house. Did you want to say anything, Dominic? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe next episode, next season, maybe. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I so like I think season five, we might let you get a word in. Hey, man, yeah, I, I think like it's noon. It's like almost noon over there. You're probably drinking already. No, you know, you're kind so of on vacation. Co- coffee and water. No, I got to say, I went last night to this place. Have you ever heard of this place, Poppy Steak in, in South Beach? But I don't know if anybody I, listening has heard of this place, I've but it's to- famous. They bring out an a- A5 Wagyu ribeye in like a suitcase, and it's got dry ice and smoke, and it's a whole, it's a show. So <laughs> that yeah, is the most got, Miami I, thing. That's the most Miami oh thing I've ever heard. Oh, that's beef brownie. Um, um, so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good yeah, um, it was a good night. Uh, uh, it was it was good night, but it was it was a long night. So um, uh, so somebody's heard of it. Oh Lord, poppy steak. Yeah. What wine were you drinking with that last night? Uh, we did. Um, thanks, Lily CJP. Uh, uh, the uh, God of all of it. No, we started with some. Um, there's the bottle still sitting here. We started here at the hotel with some some uh, some some champagne. <laughs> it's probably still in the in the bucket. And then um, started there, okay. and then, yeah, we got some sort of like crazy French champagne. We had some chartreuse shots. I mean, the, so they, these guys go to Poppy Steak three times a week, and uh, they invited me, and it was it was awesome. But that that uh, A five that ribeye in that that bad boy, I had no idea. It's a thousand bucks for that stupid steak. But let me yeah. tell you, it was pretty darn awesome. So, uh, oh, the best thing I had last night was something called they called steak and eggs. It was uh, tartare with. Uh, uh, oh my gosh! What's the caviar on top of it? It was pretty. It was pretty excessive, but it was awesome. So anyway, um, but no, I'm not drinking. But what I was going to say is, I think a lot of this this relates also in principle. It, when I think about it, this relates in principle to not paying off the debt. Is also as a business owner, one of the great things about being a business owner is is make sure that you have. Like get, get get your ability to get lending, get get your lines of credit, get stuff in place. Like the EIDL loan, we took it. The ninety percent of it's parked in a bank account right now. I didn't need it. I took it though. That's why exactly why I took it because I don't know when I'm going to need it. Right. So it's sitting in there now. We we did a couple things with it and some stuff to kind of forward the business to shore it up during like right at the beginning of COVID because we were like, oh man, let's just make sure. Right. Because we didn't know. Um, and, and it's gone really well. So it's just, it's basically just parked there. And it's, but you can use lending like that as a business owner to supplement some of the cash, because a lot of what business owners do is, is after, when we go into these market conditions, Ron and I screamed about this in an episode, probably episode five or something of last season, we screamed from the top of the hills, get cash is king, right? Get cash have cash in the bank account. So some of that's actually stuff that you're putting to the side, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I think lovely CJP asked about that, how much money, how much that should be. And then there's, that's varies by person by person. But the other thing is I consider all that EIDL money that I haven't used also supplementing my cash because I can mm-hmm. use it for other things. Now there are some rules around EIDL. Be careful because the IRS is coming after that hardcore apparently this coming year, just mismanagement of EIDL. But if you're using it for it's, 
it's not like restrictive rules. It's just like you can't go buy NFTs with it, like you know. But use it for use it for like business purposes. But that type of stuff. As we get into these marketplaces, businesses are going to fail. Houses are probably going to come down. You're going to get some opportunities, uh, or you can hear Ron's chickens. Maybe some chickens come on sale. Um, <laughs> no, but you're you're gonna you're gonna have all these opportunities. Your your competitor is going to start to struggle, and you can buy them. Like it's an awesome opportunity, but this is the time to seize that. I don't think it's too late yet, but we're not far away from it being too late when the banks start to go out. We're not handing out money anymore, right? It's coming. And that's when you you got to get as a business owner and apply that same principle as a business owner. Yeah, keep, keep, keep cash to the side. Definitely have your own cash that's from another source, but like take advantage of a line of credit. Get one while you can. And I know Lindsay, we didn't really get to Lindsay's question about how much a business owner should take as a, as a, uh, salary which we can chat about that a little bit more but as a business yeah, owner totally you want to stay right it's a different kind of subject for another time but it, yeah. it's related in the sense of you you want to make sure that your business is showing the right kind of profit to be eligible for it. and so you got to be really careful as a business to stay bankable is a term that that some people that i know use who did a lot of lending they said stay bankable right have make sure that what your you know capital expenditures can be added back to your expense so so that's a good thing right or added back to your income i should say uh those are good but like paying yourself a salary got to be careful with paying too much and there's other places where you just have to work with your advisors work with your lender work with your tax professional and do it i would say do it now because a year from now it might be too late to get money and then uh, in a year after that it's going to be buying opportunities left and right Possibly. I mean, we don't know for sure, but that's... I think, yeah, I, I mean, we're headed that direction. So unless something changes, uh, it's certainly all the signs are there, you know, of, of, a, of, a, of a recession coming up. And again, my motto has always been, I choose not to participate, right. you know, so I'm going to do what I can to grow my business even more aggressively. Um, we'll probably look to pick up a financial planning firm or two for somebody who's getting out. Well, if that book of business is down because the markets are down, then I can pick it up at a you know, lower price because it's based on annual revenue than I would have at the height of the market. So we are right. absolutely going to start looking at that and to grow by acquisition, not just you know, new client acquisition one at a time, rather acquiring the business. And right. um, we haven't gone and acquired a tax firm yet, um, but we might. Um, so I think what I would say is, in kind of beginning to wrap this up, debt is a tool like any other tool. A knife can be used to perform surgery and make someone healthy or to cut your a $5,000 Wagyu ribeye so you don't have to not or it can be used to shank somebody in prison. And, you know, <laughs> so it can be a good tool or a bad tool. And so it's the same with debt. View your debt judiciously. If you're using it to grow business, to improve your income at one of those professions, to acquire a competitor, to, to grow business, to expand, that's brilliant. If you're using it to buy assets that are necessary, like I have no problem with people getting car loans. 
Um, because a car is, you know, yeah, you can use it for business. You need it, It's a necessary expense. Going into debt for jewelry or watches, even watches that appreciate, then I would be like, no, that's not a good use of debt, particularly if it's high interest. And one last word that I wanted to throw out is just something to think about, which what is even the definition of true debt? Because having loans in place are not the definition of debt. My guy that has two, uh, $25 million in real estate against $6 million in notes, is he in debt? Not really. Because he could sell that property or a couple of his properties, keep all the others, totally wipe out the $6 million in debt. Same thing if you've got a house that's worth a million dollars that you own 400000 on, are you really in debt? I would argue no, because your house is worth more. And if we had to, we could sell it and we pay off all that debt and still pocket money. So couple things to think about there about what truly is the definition of debt. I did see some questions that came up that we won't have time to get too deep because I do have to run. And you guys are now, it's 12.01 over there in Miami Beach. Dominic, you are officially cutting into happy hour for Dominic. And, yeah. um, so anyway, um, what we'll do though is we'll save those. I saw one about buy, borrow, die strategy for stocks. If you guys can just grab any of those. We probably won't get to them next week because we're going to focus on college and careers. It's a brilliant show if you guys have kids. You guys are going to really like that information. Um, and then when Dominic comes back the following week, because he's going to be on vacation next week. So Ed Sanderson of Duceris and IRS Cocktails will be my co-host for that week. Then um, we'll we'll jump in and answer some of those questions. If you can grab them, Dom, while I post the show. We have them. Yeah, all Perfect. sent them to me, so I have them all on here. We will get to those. Lindsay, we will get to your question. Uh, it's funny enough, I actually told Lindsay, I go, hey, bring it up on Friday. She had that question about South. I was like, bring it up on Friday. If we can, we'll talk about it. We couldn't, so we'll, we'll get to another day. Sorry, Lindsay. Um, Good but, to see you, uh, by the yeah, way. I no, hope you're well. Yeah, so no, this is a great. I think this is a great show. I mean, again, if you guys are, if you're watching this after the fact, well, you have course, questions for us, shoot them in the we, chat. We think it's, we think it's a great show, of course. Well, heck yeah, it's a great show. I mean, why would we do it if we didn't think it was a great show? Come on, man. So, um, but no, I think it was a good. I think it was a good topic. It was probably the more appropriate way to put it. But I mean, I do think it's a good show. Um, but I think it's it's a good topic for people because this is you know everything right now is a little bit up in the air and I think people are getting real nervous about debt. But I think that last statement you made about it is really positive. But I think the other thing is is you know the final note I'll put on there is you gotta you just gotta everything in moderation, right? Like I think there's an element of that things also under um, there's everything in in moderation in the sense of you know Yvonne and I talk about my wife. For those of you who don't know, Yvonne and I talk about this all the time. Like our house isn't fancy. It's kind of, you know, like similar to Ron's. Like we have a nice property. We've got an insane view. Like our view is Ron's being there. Insane. Awesome. Yeah, insane. But but the house isn't anything special. And we think about going up the hill and, you know, we could afford a much bigger house. But then you go, why? Like we owe not very much on the house. It's worth a ton. I mean, what else? So I, what do we do? We go, we go on vacations and we, we do other stuff and we invest in other things. And, and, and then the, the goal right now is, Hey, why sell this one? Let's just keep it. Let's get to a point where we can then just down big down payment on the next one. Right. Without dipping into this one, like just live within your means as much as you can. I know that's not always, I know that's, a, it's both a trite statement and one that we hear a lot, but like as much as you can, you know, just be, be careful and, 
yeah, going into debt to buy a watch is probably not your best move, even if they're up, you know, because the, uh, the watch market took an 8% hit last in the last month. So, you know, I mean, everything comes down when the markets sucks. So that's that's awesome. So, well, cool. And, lo- well, it's and, good and lovely, you. lovely. Thank yes, you thank for you. The kind words. We really appreciate that. So, all right, guys, we'll see you guys in a week. If you've got kids or thinking about going back to school or thinking about career stuff, we're going to be talking about all that stuff next week with Ed Sanderson. And um, we will look forward to seeing you guys again. Dominic, have a great time. If you want to jump on real quick and say hi, self-service, Wi-Fi permitting, great. We'd love to see you. If you're too busy enjoying yourself, we will hold the fort down until you get back. So, well, I'll be on an island this big in the Bahamas, so I don't know if I'll be able to join, but we'll Love try. It. So, the chickens yeah. say hi. The chickens say hi. Nice. They can't be let out though, because I got to go to the thing, and uh, we will chat. We'll do it again soon. Take care, you guys. All right, thanks, guys.